You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 2 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. If you've been coming through the series, you know that we've been talking about the life of David. We've worked our way through him as a shepherd boy on the run, fleeing for his life, and then taking the throne. And now we find him again fleeing for his life because of his son Absalom. And so this morning, before we begin, I want to ask you a couple questions. Don't you love to be interactive in church, right, when people say, let me hear from you? Uh, I want you to tell me this morning what you know about Absalom. What do you know about Absalom? We've been here for a little bit. Many of our folks are reading ahead and reading the text Can you tell me one or two words that would describe Absalom? Okay, what we got? Okay, what's that? Okay, wait, wait, you all did it once, but I need one at a time. What? what? Okay, stop. Dennis and Dennis. Dennis won first. Favorite child. Yeah, he was a. He was. He got special treatment. Absalom did. Absolutely. Dennis number two. Lame. Lame, as in, dude, you're lame. That's Mephibosheth. That's okay. But Absalom was a lame dude. Okay, we'll take that. Linda? Murder. Okay, good. What else? Arrogant. Vain. A warrior with long hair. Steve likes that, you know. I cannot believe it, but... uh, Jeanette? A prodigal child. Paul? Tamar's brother, driven by hatred. He's a pretty boy, like you and I, Bruce. <laughs> like you and I. We know, go ahead, Rain. What's that? Power hungry, right. These things are all right. That's, that's exactly right. Listen, you have something to say, sweetheart? Yes. <laughs> From the mouths of babes thou hast ordained wisdom. Okay, these things are true. We've watched his life unfold before us. Well, let me give you Absalom from a different angle before we talk about his demise this morning. Because whether you're aware or not, Absalom, as we see his life unfold, is a, is a stark picture of unregenerated humanity. And as we look at Absalom's life, not only do we see unregenerated humanity, but we see the destiny of all those who are lost without Christ. Absalom's sin separated him from the Father. He, he sinned against the Father, and it separated him. And then Absalom took his gifts, and he was gifted. He, he was a beautiful man. He had charisma. There were things he had going for him. But he took those gifts, and he used those gifts for himself. It wasn't concerned about God's glory or God's kingdom. It was all about Absalom. And in the process of time then, because of his sin and separation from the Father, because he used his gifts for himself, he came to a point that he was resolved to get rid of authority. Because I want to be the king. I want to be in control. I want to be a god unto myself. Therefore, the king must die i, I got to kill God. God is dead. 
because I will have no man rule over me. I will be a God myself. Which is amazing that humanity thinks this as we continually march to the grave with no way to stop it. You are not a God. You're mortal. And you will die. So Absalom resolves to get rid of the king. And it seems as if it's working. He does take the throne. He does take the seat. He is the man. But then there is a reversal that happens. He finds himself on a mule looking back. And the very gifts that he used for himself would eventually quicken his demise. See, you can use your gifts, whatever they are. Beauty, charisma, your sexuality, the opportunity to make money hand over fist. But I'm telling you something. If they're not used for God's glory, they will hasten your demise. And then we see Absalom. He perishes. And my friend, listen to me this morning. This is the history of all unregenerated humanity. Which means this morning that you and I have people that we love and care for who are lost who are Absaloms. And it is imperative upon us to share the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not have to die. They can live. There can be life because a sinless Savior died. And it's incumbent upon us as believers. Why are we here? Why has God left us? What is our purpose? Our purpose is to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ and to shout out his gospel by our lips. But not only our lips, our lives. The German poet, Hein, said, you show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. The problem with the church this morning is nothing outside of these walls, and there are problems outside of these walls. The problem with the church this morning is God's people are not showing a truly redeemed life, not perfection, but a desire to be transformed into the image of Jesus so that my attitude, my goals, my desires, my values, my obedience, my family, my language, my response, looks as if the grace that saved me is the grace that's changing me. And so, these things of Absalom are true. But it reminds us that the fate of all Absaloms will be death. And we can't be okay with that. We come to 2 Samuel chapter 18, and now we find the demise of Absalom, he's gone. The rebel has gone. He's perished. And it's interesting because the writer here and the text, uh, they, they want to describe in detail David's state of mind here after hearing this news. And, and the writer not only wants you to hear the news that David hears, but he wants you to feel the news. So in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33. And the king was much moved. And I don't know what your Bible says there, but it literally means that he trembled violently. So the messengers come, 
Cushai says, all of your enemies be like that young man. David knows what has happened. And when he hears this news that we're about to, that we know of, it says that he trembled violently. And so I want you now to listen as we, we hear David's words. And, and think of this, okay? Because it's written in such a way this morning that the text tells us that not only did he say this, but it was continual. It's not like this is just one verse and David is done. The way it's written is to tell us, listen, this was David's state of mind, and this is what was happening over and over and over again. And I want you to hear it, if you would, this morning, for the very first time. Verse 33, he hears the news, he's trembling, and went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. This is the word of the Lord, and we hear it today. Now listen to me. I've asked you, if you're on our loop, to just think about this text, about what you know about the story, about what we know about Absalom, what we know about David. So tell me now, as you hear the cry of David, what is your gut reaction? What what word now do you think of when you hear this, knowing David, knowing Absalom, knowing the story, knowing the event, and hearing this? What do you think? Tragedy. Okay, Curran? He's still David's son, and as a parent, we mourn for our child. Bruce? Okay, so... Guilty. He should have stopped it early on. Good. I saw another hand. Remember, you going to say something? Father's love. Right? Anything else? Sadness. Anything else? That's it? That's what you feel? That's it? Everybody got covered? They said something that you agree with? Someone told me this week they didn't like David. Get over yourself. Wow, Mark, you are harsh. Man, that's cold. But that's how you feel. You don't, no, don't be sorry. We want you to feel free to express yourself, even if I humiliate you. I want you to express yourself. No, but there is a sense that we, we know David. We know his story. We know his inconsistencies. And we know that part of this certainly is his fault. Right? Can I, can I just stop for a second? Because this, this really resonates with me, what Mark just said, because we had talked about this earlier. And David can be an enigma. I mean, here is the sweet psalmist of, of, of God, the man after God's own heart, and yet we see so much inconsistency in his life. We see a man who, he, he's, he's compassionate toward Jonathan's son. He doesn't have to be, but he is. And then he takes a woman who's not his own, when he has a bunch, and, and plots out how to kill her husband. And then he's, he vacillates all the time with this thing that happened with the two guys come in. Hey, you know, um, here's Mephibosheth's property. I'm giving it all to your servant. And then he switches on that. And so there is a sense we see David's like, David, come on, man. You are just all over the place. But can I say to you and say to myself this morning, David is us. I wish it wasn't that way. Right? But i got to tell you, in my own heart and life, even if I have it all together on the outside, there's real inconsistencies in here. 
And this story should at least in that sense give us hope that here is a man after God's own heart who is still inconsistent, yet God loves him. And we should be thankful for that. So, with what was said this morning, I completely concur. I mean, those feelings, they're real. And what I'd like to do this morning is just take the one of grief and talk about that this morning, and the other of regret. We'll talk about that next week. Let's talk about grief this morning. I love what was said already about this as a father. Spurgeon says about this text, It is wiser to sympathize as far as we can than to sit in judgment upon a case which has never been our own. Right? The road we don't travel is always smoother. And no matter what we think of David this morning, may we pause for a moment and acknowledge the grief of a father. Certainly, we owe this to David. This is not the first time David has wept at all, at all. David wept for Saul. David wept for Jonathan. David wept over the life of Amasa. David wept for Amnon, his son. He wept for those things. And certainly this morning, as we sit back, we can see a father who gets the news that his son is gone. And this morning, there are people in this room who you understand that. You know what it's like to lose a child. A little bit lower. That will suck me out of the building. And some of you would love that. You, you know this grief. This resonates with you. If it wasn't a child, it's someone that you love dearly. And so we, we understand it. And, and even for our kids, little kids, right? We have a pet. We have a goldfish. And we're just, we're fine with throwing the thing in the toilet and flushing it away. And it's like we're done. Well, that child grieves over that little goldfish. I'm sorry, parents. Some of you, your kids just found out you flushed it in the toilet. It's grief. It is grief, and it's the grief of a father. This grief is normal, and this grief is human. A matter of fact, if we see no grief here, it's a pathology, right? People who show no grief, we call them sociopaths. That they, they can't relate, there are no, there's no conscience, they don't empathize. And so certainly the idea of grief and grieving is natural and normal. And we can pause for a moment and Dave teaches us, David teaches us, that grief is normal and human. And for many of us this morning, it would be good for us to start grieving over some things. You ought to grieve over your children. Kids here this morning, let me tell you something. You will never understand the profound depth of love that a parent has for their child. You cannot understand it. There's a reason we call mothers mama bears. There's a picture on Facebook, and there's a guy, and he's taking it. It's, it's this you know, famous last pictures. And the guy's holding a baby grizzly cub. And someone's taking a picture of it. And as they're taking a picture, I don't know if it's photoshopped or not, but there's a picture of a mama grizzly bear coming up behind him. Horrifying. 
That would be his last little photo. And, and mothers and fathers can love with a profound love that you as a child could never, ever understand. You can't even comprehend from the time that baby is born and we don't know what we're doing with it, but there's a draw and a love for this child that we would give our life for. At the same time, that child can cause more grief than you could ever imagine. I mean, drive you to your knees in brokenness and grief. And whether it's a struggle, a wayward child, an illness, there's a time for us to grieve for our children. We should grieve for the death of a rebel. (sighs) Absalom's an idiot. He's an idiot. He, He is everything that you would not want to be. He, in his makeup, makes me sick, actually. I hate the idea of of his loving himself and all about him and his his self-righteous attitude. But the fact of the matter is, he is a rebel who has died in his sin. And though we long for justice, and I long for justice, would to God we would see real justice on this planet. Still, when the rebel dies, they die with no hope. There should be something that grieves us about that. We should be grieved over our sin. And I'm not talking about your neighbor's sin. I'm talking about your sin. I'm talking about my sin. We have become modern-day Pharisees, and not in a good way. You remember the story in Luke 18? Here comes two men into the temple, and one is a righteous a self-righteous man. He's a religious guy. And he goes into the temple, and here's what he says. And, and nice and loud so everyone can hear. God, I thank you for me. God, you are really fortunate to have me. Let me tell you all the things I do. I go to church. I wear a tie. I bring my big Bible. I give money to the church. You are blessed to have me. And not only that, I'm not like these other people. I'm not, you know, a pervert, a pedophile. I'm not a murderer. None of those. And I'm not even like this guy who's in the back of the church, not lifting up his head. That guy is a publican. He's a traitor. He's collecting taxes for our enemies from his people. God, I'm not like that guy. And Jesus says, the other guy, that guy, the sinner in the back, doesn't lift up his head, he beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, the guy who's justified, is not the guy with a suit and tie. It's the guy who's broken over their sin. We should grieve over our sin. And our lack of grief over our sin is evidence that there's a deficiency in our thinking of the holy God that we serve and the terrible consequences of our sin. We'll talk next week about the pain of forgiven sin. We should grieve over these things. And we should grieve over the suffering of others. We live in a weird world, don't we? I mean, I think part of it is that we're not equipped to take all the information that we receive. We have bad news from around the world in a matter of seconds, in minutes. We know everything that's bad that's going on in minutes, if not seconds. And and i got to tell you, I don't think we're equipped to take it, to be honest with you. 
anything. That's why we can, hear, we can hear bad news, and all of a sudden we just switch over, and here's a cat jumping at cucumbers, and we laugh, and we forget about everything. That's just my life, okay? Probably not yours. Someone puts a cucumber behind a dumb cat, and it jumps all, freaks out all over the place. You should try it sometime. But this is how we cope. And so, bad things happen, and we just tune them out, and we laugh, and we move on. And we as a people don't grieve over things that maybe we ought to be grieved about. Maybe Christian people ought to shed one or two tears about over 70 women and children who go to an Eastern service in Lahore, Pakistan, and are killed by an Islamic radical suicide. Oh, it wasn't bombed. They just planted a bomb there. And then meeting and gathering like we did on Easter, over 70 women and children are gone. Maybe we should weep some tears over the suffering in our own country of women and young girls who are objectified, sex slave trading in our country. Maybe that should grieve us. Maybe the abortion issue should make us shed a tear or two. And we don't. And so we look at David, and I have to tell you, there's something about this heart cry and, and this moaning and wailing that it would be good for us maybe to say, God, break me in some areas. I need to grieve over some things. Because, listen to me, this grieving is seasonal. It, there's a time to grieve. And it is healthy. Because it moves us to action, right? If I'm broken and I come before the Lord, I can grieve. We should grieve. But it moves me to action to seek comfort from him. To, to rectify the situation. If I've been sinning and that's the problem, I get it right. Or I reach out and I'm love. I'm his hands, his feet for someone who's suffering. It's seasonal and it's, it's healthy. Now listen to me. That's not David's grief here. David's grief is excessive and harmful. Now pay attention. And and hear me, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not minimizing your grief or anyone's grief this morning. Grief is grief, and we should mourn our crosses and losses. But listen to me, what David does here is excessive, and it's not that David cannot be comforted. We're talking about the sweet psalmist of Israel. We're talking about the guy that when we are grieving, we go to the psalms that many of them he wrote and we find peace and comfort and rest. It's not that David could not be comforted. David would not be comforted. He would not. He isolates himself, and he goes over the story over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's not healthy. It's hurtful. And you say, Pastor, this has nothing to do with me this morning. I never lost a child. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, maybe let me help you then. Because whether you are grieving a child or a person or an opportunity or a hope or a dream or a sin from the past that plagues you that you just can't get over, that's excessive grief. And it is not healthy. It's hurtful. And here's what happens. In that type of grief, our mind is clouded and all we think about is ourself. 
we, 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 it becomes about us. We don't see anything else, and we constantly go back to that event, that person, that loss. It consumes us. We focus on ourselves. Our mind is consumed. Nothing is ever good. It clouds our soul. We can't see God and his goodness, his promises, his provisions. Nothing. And here's how it works for the Christian. After a while, what we do is we start checking out of Christian friends. We start skipping the church services. We chill out on the worship. We draw back from service. It's excessive grief. It causes problems. Listen to the problems this kind of grief causes. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 tells us that there is a godly sorrow. This is a sorrow that we're broken for whatever reason, this portion because of sin. And this sorrow drives us to the right place, to the right person. We find healing, help, and strength. But there is a sorrow of the world that work is, works death. Death. It's not to the heart. It's not genuine. It's excessive. It works death. Not only that, Proverbs tells us about this kind of sorrow in Proverbs 17, verse 22, that it breaks, it's a broken spirit that dries the bones. It destroys our joy, it keeps us from praise, we lose the sweetness of God and his word, it dries us up. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about excessive grief. I think for many of us this morning, we ought to be grieving about some things. It should be seasonal, and it should be healthy. This is not. And I want you to know that David was rescued from this excessive grief by truth. By truth. Because truth always makes us free. And so this morning, would you allow me to shepherd you? Because whether you're here now and you just can't move on or it's coming, We're going to need to learn how to grieve. Because for you it might be, my son, my son, my past, my past, my opportunity, my opportunity, my dream, my dream, this relationship, and I just can't move forward. So let me this morning quickly give you six things from the truth of the Word of God that I believe might help this morning for excessive grief. Number one. We must know Christ, his spirit, and heaven itself is ours. We sing a song, Mighty Fortress is Our God, and and, and one of the stanzas, it says this, um, The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. And you and I, as believers this morning, wherever we find ourselves on this spectrum of grief, we need to be acquainted with the hope and mercy we have in Jesus Christ and all the benefits and blessings that are ours because we know him. And you say this morning, hey, wait a minute, I am not a... That's that's me, I get loud. Sorry, Michelle. I just... Okay, listen to me. You say this morning, wait a minute. I am not a theologian. This, this is way beyond me. I'm not a theologian. You've got to quit that. Can I tell you something? You are a theologian. You're either a good one or a bad one. Because theology is the study of God. That's why Tozer helps us when he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we go to Scripture... Do you understand? It's not just to say, oh, let me open this up, and Lord, what does this say about me today and my situation? It's like, no, this reveals the God of heaven and who we are in him and what we have in Christ. 
And, and this is what, when we go through these valleys and these dark times and this excessive grief in our life, we must remember who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's not enough to sit on a Sunday morning for an hour and be good for the rest of the week. We must know that we are redeemed, we are chosen, we are bought, we are forgiven, we are beloved. We must know that the spirit that raised up Jesus Christ is the spirit that lives within us. We must know that we are now heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We must know as that chapter, Romans 8, works its way through, that now in verses 37 or so, nay, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Listen, this instruction here is not dead and not archaic and not just to fill your minds up. It's to enable you to live this life in the way that God has chosen for you to live. And until you know the truth of who we are and what he has done, we're going to be in trouble. That's why Paul breaks down and he says, listen, I'm persuaded. I know this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor nor breath, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God. See, that's not just archaic words. That's life. And when we are in our moments of grief, this is what we must know. We must know who we are in Jesus Christ. Number two, we must obey. We must turn from sin. Quit excusing, quit blaming until we feel the full weight and responsibility of our sin. We will never find relief. And for the the believer this morning, some of you are continually grieving because you continue in sin. And I know it's not vogue in our society to talk about sin this morning. And you can mock the pastor and you can mock the elders. You can mock the Bible. But listen to me. In the end, sin will always destroy your life. Always. And we have person after person testify this morning that that is the truth. So godly sorrow has a proper end. We repent and we obey. And so this morning, if you have grief over the the past or where you're at now, then you obey. Baxter helps us with this. He talks about thinking about our most pleasant sin. And he says, foresee the sorrow in your most pleasant sin. Had I known this would be the result of the grief, I would have never done it. Would to God we could think that before we got there. Obey. Know who we are in Christ. Obey. Number three, be thankful. Okay, that's really great. That doesn't make any sense. You want me to be thankful in excessive grief or in any grief for that matter? How in the world am I to be thankful? Do you know we're thankful in grief? Because grief, when it's done properly, leads us to where we need to be. If I'm grieving over my sin and I'm convicted about it, that grief leads me to repentance. If I'm grieving over loss, I go to seek the one who can satisfy and take care of those needs. It then restores love and joy and fruitfulness and service again. I can be thankful this morning because he wastes nothing. Nothing. Not your pain, not your loss, not your suffering. He doesn't waste any of it. Be thankful. We can be thankful that our sorrow leads to health. And we can be thankful that our Savior has provided a remedy. 
Jeremiah talks about this. He says, is there a balm in Gilead? It's rhetorical. The answer is yes. There is healing in Gilead. There is a great physician. There is one who said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a God. His name is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And what we do is we can be thankful that we take all the broken pieces of our life and we give them to him and cast them at his feet and watch him heal and restore and ignite a passion again within our hearts. Number four, we rejoice. We are commanded to rejoice. Philippians 4.4. 4. Paul says there, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Listen, life is full of joy and grief. And only in heaven will blessedness be complete. That actually rhymes. Listen to this. That's pretty good. Life, life is full of joy and grief. And only in heaven will blessedness be complete. There is joy. There is grief. It's part of life. But we need to learn how to rejoice. In what? Well, maybe you can rejoice in the birth of a newborn baby. It's a sweet thing. Maybe you can rejoice in a wedding day. Maybe in the midst of your sorrow and grief, you can rejoice that the sun came up today. And you have life. Maybe you can rejoice in the fact that you have made it thus far and God's strength has carried you through. Maybe you can rejoice because You know Christ, and you are secure in him, and nothing can separate you from his love. Number five, you're not going to like this one. Love no thing, experience, or creature too much. I thought about this point this week, and I thought about the things that I love so much. Thought about my wife, known since I was 12 years old. And I love her. I mean, really love her. Really, really love her. I think about my kids. And I love my sons. And uh, I, I don't like to think about losing any of them. Right? We've got to be careful. If, if we're not, we make people opportunities, relationships, and idol. And we grab on as tight as we can. And we're reminded that everything in this world is fleeing. Everything. We've got to be careful. The story of Abraham. Why in the world would God say to Abraham, hey, take your son Isaac, your only son. Take him up to the mount. I want to sacrifice. What are you doing? Could it be that that boy, the pride and joy of Abraham's life, had become to him his God? And all the promises of God were wrapped up in this kid. The old man loved that boy. And God said, Abraham, I want to teach you something. It's not about that boy. It's not about anything. It's not about opportunities, relationships, broken dreams, your past sin, none of those things. It's about me. And when Abraham was willing to give it all to God, Abraham then, his son was returned. And he prospered. That's why we talk about eternity around here. Because it's what lasts. God's plan, God's kingdom, God's way. We look at the things that are not seen instead of the things that are seen. Don't hold too tightly, man. It's all passing. And finally, 
when we find excessive grief in our life, we must learn to be satisfied in him. Religious people, church people, they find God useful. Or religion useful, right? Because, oh, it makes me feel good, or I have a social function there, or I'm, you know, whatever. But Christian people who know God don't find him useful. We find him beautiful. There's a difference. A huge difference. And I think our biggest problem in our world, in our culture today, is our idea of what brings happiness. We really believe that our happiness will be found in a person, a place, a thing, an experience, a relationship, some hope that we had. It won't be. Lewis helps us here when he says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. None. It is the God that we serve this morning who is the fountain of goodness and joy. And we must learn to be satisfied in him. He has made us for himself, and our heart is restless until it rests in him. Are you satisfied in him? Do you ever think about him? The God of creation who who called you before the foundation of the world, who took upon him the form of flesh to walk among us, who died for your sin and for my sin, who loved us so much that he didn't want to be separated from us forever because of our sin and made a way through Christ, we should be satisfied, completely satisfied in him. And so this morning, I'm not, listen to me, I, I understand, I know there's grief. Believe me, in our church, I know there's grief. I know there are struggles. And I'm not minimizing your grief. I'm not. But I want you to know something. That grief can be seasonal and healthy. And not excessive and hurtful. It's not that David couldn't be comforted. He didn't want to be comforted at all. And it would have destroyed him had God not sent truth into his life. So this morning, know the truth of who we are in Christ and what we have in him. Obey his word. Be thankful. Rejoice. Hold all things loosely and be satisfied in him so that there will not be excessive grief in our life. We will grieve and we should grieve. It won't be hurtful. It will be healthy because it will drive us to the place we need to be. That grief will help us to move away from all those things that are encumbrances in our lives and will drive us to the one in whom there is all healing, there is all comfort, and there is all joy. So this morning, take it to heart. No matter what you think of David, he grieved, and we should grieve. Be careful of excessive grief. It's not healthy. It's harmful. And God has provided a way for all of us to find comfort through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning.